When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here with none other than Dr. Finesse. What is up, Dr. But that was suave. I'm sure like, we just go in total silence for people on the podcast. I don't know. He's out of here. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Dude, I'm doing really good. This is After Impact, where we unpack the impact of impact theory. And today we're talking about Jordan Harbinger. Mm-hmm. That's a good man. He is a solid upstanding figure dude i love jordan Mm -hmm. love jordan we've talked about this there are really two people that have just had a massive impact on this company from outside like with absolutely nothing to gain from Mm -hmm. just being rad to us and that's noah kagan and jordan harbinger yeah these two guys man fantastic and for the people who i guess haven't heard you say this before uh let's just begin because this completely applies to his interview and what he talked about in his interview so uh let's begin with your relationship with him and how you guys met literally out of nowhere i i knew who he was massively because i used his interview so much for research and he's had the art of charm forever awesome great show he was the driving force behind that and quite literally out of nowhere he reached out to me and was like, hey, I love what you're doing. Uh, I'd love to help. Like, um, let me know. Here are some people I think I could help get on your show. Here are some shows that I could get you on. And I was just like, whoa. And he was so kind and so sweet and then ends up coming down, spending some time with Lisa and I, he and his wife. We go out and we'd never met before and we just go hang out. And he's just a rad dude who's re- he got me in a ton of podcasts and helped us get a lot of guests. Just, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, he's an amazing person. And I, and I love, I, I finally got to meet his wife when he came down here last time. And they have an enthusiasm uh, for everything and anything. Like, they talked about how they love going to panic rooms. Yes. And they've tried every panic room in the city. And, and they've been to, I, I can't even remember the amount of panic rooms that they've been to. But I was like, wait, what? It was nuts. But I'm sure he charmed his way out of the panic rooms. Oh. <laughs> you hear that? You hear that? I hope you're listening, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> so, Jordan, so Jordan uh, I'm going to kind of go back and forth, but I remember one of the things that stood out to me is he said when he was working on Wall Street, he wanted to work from home because he didn't want people to see that he didn't belong. Mm. Like, he knew that yeah, there was something syndrome. else for him there. He had the imposter syndrome. And for me, I was just like, wow, that's nuts that it was so bad that he didn't even want to go into the office. Mm. He's like, I'm going to come in today. But I guess he knew that there was something else for him. And he kind of carved out his own career, which I loved. Um, And I guess uh, before I move on from there, what do you have to say for people who are in a position where they're so afraid to even be around people? Because whether it's toxic or whether or not they feel like an imposter, that they don't even want to be around their coworkers. Well, it's interesting because that's super fixed mindset, right? So that is the belief that you can't get any better. So if you feel like, whoa, I'm surprised they brought me on. I don't feel like I'm up to the task. If you amend that with, I'm not up to the task yet, cool, I'm with you. But then your energy shouldn't be trying to hide to work from somewhere else. It should be all about what the punchline of Jordan's story is, 
is to go get good at something. Mm-hmm. And as long as that's what you're thinking, like, okay, wow, I'm, I'm in over my head. I need to learn this. I need to get better. And you're putting the energy into getting better. I respect that. I can't tell you the number of times in my life where I felt like I really have no idea what I'm doing. But there have been times in my life where that was scary because I thought, oh, I'm going to be found out. Meaning, like, I'm not good at this. I will never be good at this. And so once they find out, they're going to want to get rid of me. Versus, I'm not good at this yet. I need to spend all my time and energy getting good at this. And I'm going to bury people with my work ethic. And I'm I'm going to show them I can get good at anything and I can get good at it fast. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, that is okay. I think that's super healthy. I think that that means you're pushing yourself if you're out of your comfort zone. But when it's like you just want to go hide, that that's not helpful. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. I don't think I've ever been in that situation where... Uh, we can't all be the doctor of finesse. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, I mean, definitely I've been... I had suffered from imposter syndrome many times over. But to your first point, I remember having that overwhelming feeling that I just got to fake it till I make it. I'll figure it out. I'll talk to whoever I can. I'll shadow whoever I want to. Uh, I mean, when I was at CNN, I definitely did have a skill set because I came out of college with a journalism degree. And I knew a lot about certain things. But I remember there were certain departments that they just threw me in something. I had no idea how to do it. Mm. But it was my first taste of... God, do I, I don't belong here. Like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing hanging out with all these, with these anchors that I watched growing up? But then I just figured, it's like, no, I mean, this is, I'm here for a reason. I have the opportunity to be here. Uh, at least let me just fake the hell out of this until I make it. And if I don't make it, then so be it. Uh, but I mean, it was a learning lesson. And I remember from then on, um, it gave me a drive to learn things if I was in a position of, of terror of mm. being like, I, I can't make it. <laughs> like if I was on a plane and no one else raised their hand and the pilots went down and the, someone was like, we need a pilot. Is there a pilot? And even if honestly, I wasn't a pilot, which I'm not, just that part of me would be, okay, no one else is admitting or even raising their hand. I'm going to get behind whatever the sticks and land this plane. <laughs> My man, I respect that. <laughs> I think that. I will fake it until I make that plane land even in that situation because it's, it's just that part of me to want to do that. Love that. Yeah, but I'm not landing any planes anytime soon. <laughs> say that much. Um, Jordan was ahead of the curve with this podcast. Uh, it was a whole new medium. Mm. At the time, YouTube wasn't even around. What, what was it? it called Wiz something? He, he had mentioned what, was, what, what the platform was. I don't remember. I forget what it was. Okay, but at the time he said uh, there were somewhere between 600 and 800 podcasts at the time. Now there are over 400,000 plus. Now, he saw something special in the medium and he got ahead of it. Uh, and we've, ta- we've talked about this before in other uh, industries. What do you say of him seeing something about the podcast world and actually turning it into something lucrative or something that's, you know, very impressive. Very, very impressive. And especially the part of his story that I was like, what? Was when he said he was having these conversations so many times with people about how to build confidence and project confidence that he was carrying CDs of himself having this conversation <laughs> into like bars and stuff to give out to people. And I thought, who on earth? Like, yeah. what, what is so cool about that? is most people just keep having the conversation. They get frustrated and they like, oh God, I've had this conversation so many times. And instead of thinking, oh, I'm gonna burn this to a CD, I might be able to really help people at scale, they just go, I don't wanna have this conversation anymore, I don't wanna talk about it anymore. 
it, it's such a different mentality to go, oh, I'm going to record this and it'll allow me to scale. And yeah. that's one of those things that like you see in Jordan's story over and over and over where it's he capitalized on the opportunity because he wasn't getting frustrated or brushing it off. He was constantly pushing it to the next level. So when he's invited to, you know, to your point about landing planes when nobody else will do it, he's got a friend who is like, hey, I can't make it to one of the recordings of my, I think it was Sirius XM mm-hmm. or whatever, um, radio shows. Would you go do it for me? Even though he hadn't read the book, he was going to have to interview this author, didn't know what he was doing. He said yes. And then when they liked what he did and said, hey, we want to give you more time, what can you talk about? He went into those things that he had made his DVDs or his CDs about. So it's just like always like stepping into the unknown, trusting that he can figure it out, believing that he has something of value to present. That that is so smart. And so that becomes the podcast, but he even started way before mm-hmm. that. So like, oh man, and I'm, I'm forgetting who else, someone else had a genius move like this, where the thing that they became famous for wasn't the genius move. The genius move was the CDs. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that's like, whoa, that's <laughs> so smart. And that's just somebody who's really looking for ways to scale. Yeah. And you know, when I heard the CD story, I was like, wow, that really was a while ago, which is a crazy thought. Because I remember when even just burning CDs, when that started to die out, and I kept thinking, like, wait a minute, what? People aren't using CDs that much mm. anymore? That was mind-blowing to me. And thinking, like, no, we're going to go back to CDs someday. Like, we're <laughs> definitely going back to CDs. And now when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute, wow, that's so long ago, CDs? Mm. So, which is nuts. Um, I love the conversation about uh, the hobby business shift. It reminded me about what Jay Shetty said uh, about the intersection of doing what you love, mm. uh, finding out what people need, and then getting paid for it. Right. Um, so, uh, that whole conversation, uh, kind of sparked that detail, but if you can weigh in on, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our viewers, I see it in the comments all the time. They try to figure out what it is, f- trying to find some direction. But I think out of the chunks of the advice that we get from guests on our show, um, I think what Jordan said there, and then also what Jay Shetty said about that intersection is truly important. And you seem to have found that, but you want to weigh in on that for a little bit? Yeah. So... This comes down to passion, right? So why passion? Why is that one of the most enduring pieces of advice you're going to get? And the reason is that it, when you're passionate about something, it's giving you energy. So when you do it, you feel alive, you're excited, you're excitable, your, your enthusiasm is contagious. And when it gets hard, you're, you're in the midst of something that you love doing so much that you just keep pushing. So because there's no money in a hobby, then you know that people are doing it because they love it. You know that they're doing it because they have this enjoyment. So if you can get into something that you have that for, that you're willing to do the kinds of stuff that Jordan was doing long before it was lucrative, just because it's something that you really enjoy, you're able to help other people or whatever it is that's drawing you to that. If that's the thing that you can ultimately turn into something that's making you money, you've already got the biggest problem solved, which is energy. So building anything, whether it's a hobby or whether it's a profession, building something takes an inhuman amount of energy. And that it is not intelligence that stops most people from building something of import. It is energy. It is having the time and the enthusiasm to continue pushing. When you're losing, you're getting kicked in the face. To keep going, it really, really takes an inhuman amount of energy. Like when you no longer feel it on a chemical level, then you've got to like push. And I used to think of it as pushing my personality. I've got to push my personality. I've got to force myself to be energetic. And in those moments, the only way that you're able to get that, um, the, the willingness to push that energy forward is because you believe in what you're doing. 
And so that's why starting with something that you already love or have a deep interest for and then turning into something that you're truly extraordinary, um, starting with something that's giving you more energy than it takes, just to put one simple statement to it, that is absolutely the key. And that's why so many people, the thing that they end up doing and succeeding at the highest level, when they got into it, it seems counterintuitive, mm. right? Like now everybody, literally Quest is a business case study, but that isn't which how it started. I found out recently which, when you said that. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. It's nuts. But it, it didn't start that way. It started with, I was angry and upset that I had wasted almost a decade of my life chasing money. I wasn't going to do it anymore. I was tired of marketing, writing marketing copy that wasn't a reflection of who I really am mm. as a person. I had a film degree and a love for storytelling that I wasn't able to leverage. So it was like, okay, the social media didn't even have a name back then, but I could tell, hey, Facebook is going to be a thing. It allows us to um, have a platform, and YouTube, quite frankly, have a platform to um, shoot our own videos, to create our own marketing materials, and we were doing that not because, oh, we think it's going to build a big business. We were doing it because I had a love for those things. And so I wanted to market in a new way that spoke to who I was. And it just so happened that then society catches up with you right at that right moment. And that's what you see. Like when I think about the guys that ended up making millions of dollars in video games in their 40s, mm. homie, they started <laughs> with Atari when everyone was like, this is dumb. Yeah. You're wasting all of your time. Mm -hmm. But like me, they just loved it. Mm -hmm. And so they poured themselves into it. And then as they were getting that, like the, they had enough experience from a career standpoint, had enough relationships from a career standpoint that they could really make something of it. They're in their 40s. But now a kid coming up on video games, it's self-evident, it's obvious, which means a ton of people are going to go into it. You're not fighting like when I was a kid, every parent was telling them those things will rot your brain. Yeah, oh yeah. That's yeah. all parents ever said. All those time. things will rot your brain. I wasn't even allowed to have a Nintendo. I had to buy it. I had to, I had to take a job in a door factory at 12. Nintendo <laughs> came out when I was eight. <laughs> I had to take a job in a door yeah. factory when I was 12 after waiting four years Jeez. thinking every birthday and Christmas my parents will buy me one. Oh, and man. they never did because they were serious. It'll rot your brain. You can't have one. So if you want it, you have to earn it, which they just thought I would never do. Yeah. So called their bluff, got the job and got it. All of that to say the people that really capitalize on it, dude, sometimes decades before they invested in something simply because they loved it. Not because they thought there was money. So it was the true um, what blue ocean strategy. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's interesting. I, I love the, uh, the idea of finding passion behind something. And I guess in the video game example, uh, that's a perfect example where it wasn't just parents. You know, it was society saying to children all over the world, like, you're going to rot your brain. And it, it was just something that kids would, you know, uh, use to sit down and, and, and play. But I mean, of course, out of enjoyment. But of course... As time went on, those same kids found a way to make that extremely lucrative. And it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, the conversations that, that, that you've had with us as a staff with comics about how everyone has said forever and ever, comics don't make money. There's no way to make money in comics. But if you keep hearing that over and over again, of course, you could either just stand back and be like, okay, it's not going to make money. Comics will never make money. Or you can search forward and think of a way, how do we make this lucrative? How do we turn this into something else? How do we flip the script? How do we change the whole game plan? So uh, I guess if you have a moment, I mean, not to dive into your 
In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride. Because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the whole plan of what you're going to do with comics but uh, do you see, an op- obviously you see an opportunity there uh, to grow it into something else uh, or change uh, the whole system? Yeah, I think you always have to look at things from a totally different angle. And that's why the naivete of the beginner is so powerful, is you have no preconceptions of what can or can't be done. And because of that, you see opportunities where other people have just closed the door. Now, here's the thing. I always tell people that if you want to be successful... It's, it's about walking into a room that has a thousand doors and closing 999 of them. That, that is your job. To decide <laughs> literally comes from the Latin to cut. It is to close the door. It's not to open it up. Mm. And so people have such a hard time being decisive. They have a hard time closing opportunities. Now, here's where it gets dangerous. So let's say that you're, you're really decisive and you're able to close all those doors. Now you're down a specific path. You have said, I have a worldview that negates the 999 other doors. Now, where people get themselves in trouble is, as they go down that path, they get better and better and more powerful and more powerful. And so they think, I've made the right choice. That's where mastery becomes a trap. 
And you can get so good at something that you forget that there were amazing things behind all 999 mm. other doors. Mm -hmm. And the problem wasn't that they weren't valuable. And because you think, oh, I see other people messing with those doors. No, no, no. What you see are people who leave all the doors open. So there's all this opportunity and they're, they're just paralyzed by all the amazing shit. But you become equally paralyzed by your mastery. And so you've got to be able to reboot, refresh yourself. So at the beginning of my career, I'm a filmmaker. Then I go into software and build a company in software. Then I reinvent myself and go into nutrition. And then I reinvent myself again and go to true media, mm -hmm. not just as a director or producer, but like as a, a media mogul. Mm -hmm. And so doing that, you really have to look at things askew. So I'm looking at the comic industry and everybody's saying, look, there's no money to be made and all of that. And so you start to dissect it and, and I won't go into my whole tirade about comic books and what's broken, why it's broken and what to do about it. But suffice it to say that because people become an expert in telling you why it won't work, that's all they can see now. Yeah. And so you, you have to be so careful. Argue for your limitations and they become yours. So it's like, the industry literally is a reflection of people saying, well, this is the way that it is and the way that it has to be. And thusly, they can't see the opportunity to completely reinvent it. Um, and that, that is really unfortunate. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's great though. I mean, hearing that perspective. Um, so Jordan says that he was painfully shy growing up, which is crazy uh, being the type of person he is, but it also makes sense. It also makes sense. And he says it very eloquently, but he talks about, uh, this is something I was able to relate to is the practice of confidence, the practice of confidence. And I don't think, for example, I think a lot of people mistake introversion to being shy and people think like, Oh, I'm introverted or I'm shy. I can't relate to other people or I can't have this type of uh, confidence. But you say so yourself that you're very introverted. And anyone who knows you knows that you're introverted, but <laughs> people who watch you on TV would never think that. Yeah. And you have more confidence than anyone I've ever seen. <laughs> so, so I guess there is extreme power in practicing confidence and it has nothing to do, I mean, of course it could be related to shyness and being introverted, but it doesn't mean it should stop you in your tracks. Mm. Do you wanna talk about that a bit? Yeah, well what I really wanna talk about is, okay, so let's, let's dissect the last few minutes. So. Uh, I'm introverted, very true. I, I'm probably, in, in different periods of my life, I have been extroverted and I have been truly introverted. Mm -hmm. So when I was younger, I think it would be a lie to say that I was introverted mm -hmm. because I was, um, I got all of my energy from making people laugh. That's right. And yeah. so I, I really like, I fed off that. But then that changed in my late teens and I found myself being much more introspective, mm -hmm. which is really where the introversion started. And then I found that the, the internal world was so energizing to me um, that I really truly became introverted. And then, uh, I developed massive anxiety in my late 20s, early 30s, like paralyzing, crippling anxiety. So now imagine the guy you're saying is like crazy confident. Mm -hmm. So I've, I have crippling anxiety to the point where I, I was in a living room at Christmas time with probably my wife and maybe four other people that I'm from my family. And, <laughs> and I, I couldn't tell a story. Wow. My voice was shaking. I couldn't catch my breath. And my wife was like, what the fuck is going on? Huh. And so I realized I finally had to be honest because I hadn't even told her that my anxiety for years had been getting worse and worse and worse. And so finally I had to tell her like, look, 
this has really become like a massive problem for me. And so that was part of the reason I started meditating, but like really just trying to figure out neurochemically what's going on, what's happening. A lot of the research that I did into the brain was to unwind my anxiety. Um, so that was crazy and was a huge part of the reason that in the beginning, I really did not want to be on camera because it just spiked my anxiety. So for all the progress that I had been making in like business meetings and stuff, now like having a camera on me was like, I was like, that just sounds like torture. <laughs> I, I just no interest in this. Um, and so, yeah, that like, one, I don't think that there's necessarily a permanent state of what your personality is. I think a lot of this is where are you at in your life? What gave me the anxiety was being so bad at business. And so I would go into these um, meetings and stuff and just, it was this constant never ending fear of embarrassing myself. And because I did embarrass myself mm -hmm. routinely. And so really having to learn to not give a shit about that and get beyond that and being willing to put myself out there and learn from the failures and all that stuff. And then quite honestly, I, I came up entrepreneurially in a pretty brutal um, environment where mm -hmm. it was like, oh, you're an idiot, you're this, you're that. And it's like, ah, that's not easy to face day yeah. after day after day after day. Oh, yeah. It wasn't so bad in the beginning, but day after day after day after day, year after year after year, it's like, oh shit, this has actually turned into anxiety. And so anyway, the point of all that being, the things that Jordan's talking about, about these hooks into confidence, like, because I hate the phrase fake it till you make it, mm -hmm. but you really do have to embody it even when you have no reason to. Mm -hmm. And so even though I wasn't feeling confident, the physical hooks of standing up straight, smiling, breathing from my diaphragm, all mm -hmm. of those things, neurochemically actually made me feel more confident. And so once you start feeling more confident, then you start acting more confident, which then people respond to you in a way that's more confident. And then that gives you like the breath to start really taking more risks, learning from the things that work and the things that don't work, getting the skill set, and then that competence leads to confidence. But it really is this weird thing, which is why fake it till you make it has lasted so long in the cultural subconscious, even though truly faking it is a terrible strategy. <laughs> but, but embodying it and then allowing that increased sense of confidence to allow you to pursue the acquisition of skills, that's powerful. Yeah, I love um, his tips, or his tip, I should say, for folks uh, to get past that shyness, uh, the door drill. Mm. Um, you know, I don't call it the door drill, and I certainly don't put a post-it note up as I'm entering a door or walking out of a room. But it's something I started doing. Uh, and I know just from experience, being in a great number of rooms and always paying attention to people walking in the door, especially in this town, uh, Hollywood. Um, and there's a huge difference between someone walking in the room with confidence and someone who's just ducking into a room. And I know tons of people, in fact, most people, especially my wife, because she has tall girl syndrome, because she grew up a tall girl. Uh, she, I watch how she walks into a room, and she kind of almost cowers. Wow. Because, you know, she, she doesn't like the idea of people looking and turning around and seeing who's walking into the, uh, into the room. Whereas with me, I, I basically glide into a room. Like, I will straight up moonwalk into a room <laughs> if I have to, because I know it's a huge deal, especially with first impressions. And a couple examples. I'll never forget, this is back in 99, uh, and this is when InSync was, you know, big in Europe, but they were, and I, I think in 99, they were big here, but with the teen girls, but they weren't massive right. just yet. Um, but they were on the cusp of getting massive, where even uh, adult women were like, oh, who are these guys that girls are loving? Um, and I remember 
being at Club Vinyl, uh, rest in peace, Club Vinyl, in, in Hollywood. And I remember Justin Timberlake walking in. And, and it was actually all of NSYNC, but I just remember hyper-focusing on him because he had the, those curly cues. And the way he walked into the room with this confidence, I remember two things, thinking like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? <laughs> <laughs> in the room, just strutting. But at the same time, I saw the attention he got, and I remember thinking like, who is that? And Because I didn't know at the time, and then someone told me who it was. And it, it didn't leave my mind afterwards. I was like, man, look at that, man. He walked into the room like he owned the room. Mm. And I started really paying attention to that more and more and more. Same deal. This is when, uh, when I was working on Tavis and before Obama uh, was elected president. Uh, this was uh, during his campaign. And the way he walked into the room, I, I'll never forget it. I remember thinking, like, this fool is walking <laughs> on air. He was just gliding into the room. And he, his head was up. And you can tell that he was hyper-focused on how he entered the room. Mm. And talk about a first impression. And I think that's hugely important with first impressions. I have one more story uh, about body language. Uh, and, and this was just uh, yesterday. And actually, no, it was this morning. Uh, <laughs> I saw this photo. There's this girl I know from Brazil. She's amazing. Very great spirit. Very confident. Full of life. Just a great friend. I actually met her in Paris and we've and just randomly. And we've become friends since then. Wife knows her well everything. And she took this photo, a selfie with her and a friend of hers. And the body language could be between the two of them. It was just such a juxtaposition. It was so funny. Uh, my friend looked so confident. Her chin was up. It made her look so beautiful. And her friend was just like almost shriveled down. She wasn't, I mean, just her body language alone made her look awful next to my friend. Mm. And I shouldn't laugh at this, but I remember sending it to my wife being like, take, <laughs> take a look at the two of these. And she was dying too. She was like, oh my God. And she said, I would be the other girl. <laughs> but it's so true. It's like, it's amazing what your body language will do. And mm. the lack of confidence that exudes from you when you have your chin down and you shrivel your body up. So uh, I guess if you wanted to, to add to that, but I just had to add the, uh, to, to that story. The fascinating part of that to me is that you're... Your body is a reflection of what's going on in your mind, but your mind is also a reflection of what's happening in your body. Mm. So that works for you when you're using your body to shake off a funk or something like that. You're using it to embody the confidence, and it really works against you when you are already feeling a little insecure or anxious, and you adopt postures that reinforce that. Mm. And so there's this self-reinforcing loop between the mind, which is like, I don't really feel good, and the body, which is like, yeah, like shrivel down, and the the mind's like, damn, I'm shriveled. I really must not feel good. And then the body's like, damn, I really don't feel good. So I need to really reflect that. And like, it, it is so weird. And I remember seeing the dog whisperer. Uh -huh. He was dealing with a dog that had anxiety and he kept lifting its tail, lifting its tail over really? and over and over, lifting its tail. And he said it, it, the same thing, right? The body just reinforces and, and exacerbates what's going on in the mind. And so if you're feeling confident and you pose confidently, that it actually makes you feel more confident, which then makes you stand more confident, which makes you feel more confident, mm -hmm. and you get in this loop. So the physical hooks for me have always been huge. So when I'm feeling down, angry, frustrated, whatever, I'll force myself to laugh out loud. And one of my absolute secret weapons in my marriage was laughing out loud <laughs> because we would get into a fight. Yeah. 
and then you're in a piss poor mood. And for me, once I'm there, I tend to stay there. So it would take a lot because the same with being happy. If I'm happy, I'm gonna stay happy. But then it'd take a lot to make me angry, but then something would make me angry and then I'd stay angry for hours. And so I wrote this letter to myself, which the punchline of the letter was, laugh out loud right now, I don't care how stupid you feel. And as soon as I would laugh out loud, you can't stay angry, frustrated, mad, whatever, if you're laughing, you can't do it. I don't care how fake it is. You wanna talk, fake it till you make it, <laughs> fucking laugh out loud. Like, it doesn't matter yeah. how unnatural, fake it is, if you are laughing, your body goes, oh, well I must be in a good mood. Mm-hmm. And then the neurochemistry starts. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I learned that uh, after you suggested I read David Eagleman's book, The Brain, and he talks about that in there, um, that the whole concept of smiling to feel better isn't just a saying, that it actually will make you feel better. And, and I mean, it was just fascinating, not to derail it at all, but even when he talked about Botox and what that does yeah. to the brain, I was like, wait, what? I could not believe that. That is insane. 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 So, I mean, <laughs> physically not being able to smile because of Botox can make you... A little less happy. <laughs> it, it can make you ha- unhappy, and it can also stop depression. How crazy is that? Because they numb or um, paralyze the muscles that cause a frown. And so you oh, can't frown, so you're not able to embody the sadness, the unhappiness. Oh, and thusly, they actually find it helps people get out of depression. That's pure insanity. But it also, it, if you kill off the or paralyze the parts for the smile and the frown, it makes people feel really emotionally numb, okay. which is super weird. But it shows how much we use our face as a reciprocal feedback loop. That is insane to me. That's nuts. Yeah, so I'm going to start, I mean, start smiling. I already smile enough. What am I talking about? (laughs) Um, Deliberate practice of your weaknesses, Jordan says. Deliberate practice of your weaknesses. Do you know what he meant by that? Yeah, oh yes, very much so. So there's the whole cultural debate raging right now about whether you should just lean on your strengths or whether you should bring up your weaknesses. And Jordan's thing is, and and I agree with him totally, what do your goals demand? What do you need to do? Like you're trying to do something with your life and you've got two choices, outsource it or get good at it. That's it. And so if you can't outsource it, then you got to get good at it. Otherwise, you have to give up on your goal. So I I actually don't understand people who are like, oh, just do whatever your strengths demand. You you literally can't do that. You cannot get through life as one note. So all of us have something where we get what I call early wins. You were a kid or now, and you start in on this thing. And you just find that, cool, whenever I do, mine is verbal, right? I've always had above average verbal ability. So when I was a kid, I got early wins from trying to convince somebody of something using words, right? So Mm. then that made me think, whoa, I'm good at this. So I had a lot of confidence, so I did it more. So then I ended up spending an inhuman amount of hours doing like stand-up comedy and speech and debate and all of that stuff because I got early wins. And then look, the book um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about this effect where People get an early win either because they actually have a natural ability or because they're the oldest in their class. So they're just physically bigger, stronger, more coordinated. So then they think, oh, I'm better than everybody. When they really weren't, they were just better than the kids that were in their class because they happened to be older. But if they were with kids exactly there to the month age, they may have been the worst, Mm -hmm. but they weren't around that. So they got the confidence. So my thing is like, sure, you may get early wins in something, but If your goals demand that you also get good at something else, because let me tell you, I couldn't run a business just by having verbal ability. That was part and that helped me, but I had to get good at the entrepreneurial side, at the seeing opportunity, uh, generating energy, creating momentum, like things that I'm naturally horrific at. 
I had to learn how to do all that stuff. Mm. So my thing is, it purely comes down to what do you want to do? Mm. What do your goals mandate that you get good at? Mine mandated that I get good at business, not just talking, at business. Mm. And so, yeah, that, that's what he's talking about. You've got to put the practice into if you can't outsource it and you have to get good at it, then practice. Okay. Uh, he also says, he also recommends find a coach as early as you can to unlearn bad habits. Found that interesting. I mean, it's funny because, and he did mention this too, people tend to do uh, uh, the reverse, not all the time, but a lot of people will dive into something and realize, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing, but let me find a coach now to get me here. But he says, find a coach as early as you can to unlearn bad habits. What do you think he meant by that? So you definitely can get really, really good at something by doing it poorly. Just because you practice and you get such a level of efficiency, even though you're not doing it well, you get such yeah. a level of efficiency. And I remember Tiger Woods uh, went through this where he wanted to completely change his swing. And everyone's like, you're already winning. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, but right, he didn't think right. he would have the longevity yeah. if he didn't fix his swing. And so he had to go back and then learn it. So if you just learn the good behaviors right from the jump, so much the better. Um, so yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's his punchline is the sooner you bring somebody in, the sooner you're more likely to do something the right way. Uh, but I'll say that just applies whenever you have the realization that you could improve by having somebody come on and push you. I just think there's always another level to where we're at with our skill set. And going back to the danger of mastery, the better you are, the less likely you are to seek help. And so that in and of itself is a death sentence. So when I look at like how far we've come as, um, uh, company and just the the social engagement that we've gotten and how fast we've grown our following. But our thing as a company is like, this is nothing compared to what we could be doing. Mm. And so trying to get all the opinions from people to figure out like, what could we be doing better? Where am I failing? What am I doing that's not as good as it could be? Not am I already playing at a high level and just stopping at that? Like, What's that next level? And just always believing that there's somewhere that you can go, that you can get better, that even when you're at the elite level, you can always improve. That's cool. Uh, so he had to, uh, to deal with this, and you had to deal with this also. Um, basically, rebuilding and recovering from whether it's a business breakup or whether it's a dissolvement or whether it's just moving on in a different direction. Uh, it's something that I, I, you know, people, viewers, anyone will probably have to face at some point or another, especially if you go into business with someone else. It's, there's, hopefully you have cohesion for the long run, but in many cases, uh, thoughts and ideas may no longer be aligned. Uh, what advice do you have for people who are just starting a business with someone uh, and uh, partnering up with, with someone else? It's magical. And I think that having partners is really powerful. Having a team is super, super powerful. But like you said, it that relationship may run its course. You may get to the point where it's time to move on, it's time to do something different, it's time to either strike out on your own or to find a new partnership, whatever the case may be. And so in those moments, like not panicking, in those moments, not thinking like, you know, oh, my identity is tied up in this thing. And so now in dissolving that, like, you know, Jordan's story. So he's got the art of charm, goes on for 11 years, I think, yeah, builds a multi-seven-figure yeah. business. I mean, really, really extraordinary. Yeah. And then no longer sees eye to eye with his partners, decide he wants to go out on his own and has to rebrand as the Jordan Harbinger show, but starts in a place of fear. And where he gets is realizing, okay, 
every day for the last 11 plus years, I've been a good person. I've connected with people, added value to people's lives. And so the extraordinary thing that he's seeing is that make friends before you need them. Or as he said in the episode multiple times, dig the well before you're thirsty. Mm -hmm. And that's such powerful advice because at the end of the day, like, and this is arguably one of my favorite quotes ever, and it is certainly my favorite quote from Phil Jackson, things come together, things fall apart. And I remember when he said that he was talking about, you know, I won all these championships at the Chicago Bulls and then, you know, just stopped. And it mm-hmm. cle- was clearly, um, I wasn't going to be able to go on. And then I come to the Los Angeles Lakers and then we're winning more championships again. And then that period ends and it falls mm-hmm. apart. And like, it would be so easy to look at either of those moments and just invest so much into it that the breakdown of that is the breakdown of the self. Mm. And for him, I have the chills. For him, who's won 11 rings, yeah. 11 rings. <laughs> this is nuts. He's just like, things come together, things fall apart. It's like, it's, there's a, a Buddhist phrase, this too shall pass, mm-hmm. right? The failure shall pass. The success shall pass. Like, things come together, things fall apart. Like, when they're falling apart, know that they're going to come back together. When they're together, know that they're going to fall back apart. Mm-hmm. Like, when you, when it, my whole thing When something is predictable, it shouldn't be emotionally destructive. So if you know that things, when you're riding high, oh, this won't last forever. And there's beauty in the riding on top and there's beauty in being at the bottom. And when you can see the beauty in both, then life isn't going to slay you. Mm. And and that is the real power. Dude, the can you see that the hairs of my arm are standing up? So (laughs) like this is beyond the chills. When you understand that truth of life, yeah. that there is beauty in the ups and there is beauty in the downs, suddenly like you can enjoy the whole ride. Mm-hmm. And you can attest to this. When my time at Quest wrapped and I realized it's time to move on, it wasn't a fearful move. It wasn't a scary time for me. It was like, what a beautiful run. Mm-hmm. Like, what a beautiful run. It was a 14-year partnership that was, it, it just was unimaginably generous to my life. Mm-hmm. Like, the changes that it made me were so awesome. And just the time that I had with those two was was just beautiful. And if you can love it like that, then, like, when you transition on to something else, then it's like you're just looking at the beauty of the new thing that's coming together. But I think that that's really hard for people. And yeah, I think oh, that it's hard for people if it's a surprise. Mm. And none of that is a surprise when you have that Buddhist mentality of this too shall pass. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like that's the reason it's making the hair stand up on my arms is that to me, that's what it means to, to be impervious to what life will inevitably throw you emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that I long for the hard times. I don't whatsoever. But when they come, it's not a surprise. And then that allows me to adjust very rapidly and to see the beauty, to see the great things, and quite frankly, to help other people stay at ease so that we can move forward, build something new. Um, That's one of those things I, I want for everyone. Yeah, you know, as humans, we're very resilient. Um, and I think it's easy for people to forget that. And I know it's easier said than done when you're at the bottom uh, to remember your resiliency. Um, 
But yeah, I, I've noticed, just even with myself and just looking at the viewers, it's a common thread. People wonder how do they, they have setbacks. Like, how do I get back on my feet? How do I do this? Um, to that point, to your point, um, Jordan says action and suffering. Um, I take that as surging ahead and moving forward. Uh, um, what's your take on that? I'll give you a really mechanistic thing that's going on. If you only have so many mental cycles and when you're putting together a plan and you're enacting that plan, it is going to eat up so much of your time and your energy and your thoughts that you literally don't have the cycles to worry and to spend your time. Now, if you know that your thoughts become manifest in your body, meaning that if you're stressed and you're anxious, there's a physiological response, a feeling of displeasure, of suffering, and so when you have that and you've got those negative cycles mentally creating a feeling of displeasure, then, okay, that's, that's where that time spent thinking goes. Then if you're building something, you're focused on solving problems, of taking action, of creating something, that has a physical manifestation, which is one Problem solving, I, I think the human animal is just drawn to problem solving. It's why we play games. It's why we like puzzles. There's just something to that that's inherently pleasurable. Don't get me derailed on the Unabomber, but the Unabomber was <laughs> literally killing people because he believed yeah, that they true. were robbing people of the ability to solve those magical problems that fall into that. It's hard, but not too hard. But that, that really is how beautiful that pursuit is. Humans just love that and it feels so good when you finally get it and it clicks and it happens. So you can spend your cycles on that and teams and like having a shared vision and the excitement around that. So those are like the two things before you. So that's part one of why action and suffering. Part two is what you're worried about. The thing over here is like, is it ever gonna come together? Am I ever gonna be able to do this? Am I gonna starve to death? When you're taking action, it gives you hope. And it's kind of the same thing that I feel about technology. The reason that technology is always going to exist, even though there are massive peril, perils to technology, the reason people will always, always pursue it, it, it is the physical manifestation of the hope of a better future. Mm. That's it. Mm -hmm. So technology literally yeah. is hope yeah. made manifest. Yeah. So you're never gonna be able to get people to stop pursuing technology for that exact reason. It, when you take action, it is such a hopeful act. You're wallowing in hope when you take action. That's wonderful. With that, we're out of time. We're down to the minute. All right. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. These are a lot of fun. I hope that you're using them as a compendium for the main show, that you watch that. Jordan was extraordinary. I think if you've ever wondered, one, how to physically embody confidence, and then two, how to build a network the right way. And I can tell you from experience, remember, I did not know Jordan Harbinger like a year, a year and a half ago, and he just poured himself into helping me for no apparent reason. It was crazy. And he couldn't have known that, you know, a year, 18 months later, that I would then be able to repay him in some small way. Um, he just did it because one, it feels good, and two, it is the best way to protect yourself from the ups and downs of life. So thank you guys for joining us and being a part of what we're building. We are eternally grateful. If you haven't already, please do go and leave a review on your podcast app of choice, whether that's iTunes, uh, their podcast app, 
or Stitcher, wherever. Reviews help more than you know. Um, so if we're giving you value, please, five star, if I could put that request in, five star <laughs> review would be just amazingly, amazingly helpful. And even just a few short words about what you're getting out of the show uh, would really help. All right, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.